All right, good morning, 8.07. It is Election Day, just like it was yesterday. Joining us this morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? This is the week I hate this week so much. <laughs> I, I hate just every moment. They've discovered a planet that has lava oceans, rains rocks, and I want to move there. Oh. So, well, that, yeah. yeah. That sounds hospitable. No COVID, as I understand. No presidential election going on. Right. Um, all right. Give me your top. Give me the top line. P. Callender, uh hot take for the week. Where are you at? So it turns out that high turnout does not actually benefit Democrats. This, to me, is the most earth-shattering thing for North Carolina politics because so many of our arguments about election integrity, uh, voter ID, the expansion of early voting, the hours of early voting, absentee by mail, how long do we keep the absentee ballots coming in, all of these issues always stem from what? An argument over uh, voter turnout. And the argument from the Democrats is that higher turnout helps Democrats. That's why Republicans block it. They don't want everybody voting. That right. now has it's been laid to waste. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So now we see 75% turnout, record turnout in the state, and Republicans actually pick up seats in the state house after millions of dollars in outside money comes in to help them flip the state. So hopefully that argument is now dead. Uh, and, and that's the top line for me. All right. The currently uh, North Carolina Supreme Court and North Carolina State of, uh, Court of Appeals statewide races eight seats total. Republicans, though in some cases only by about twenty five hundred, currently leading in all of those. Mm -hmm. That would people don't understand how big that would be. It's not going to probably end like that though, um, or is it? I mean, what do you think? The uh, Supreme Court justice race that might. That might change based on the absentee ballots. But also remember, there's a batch of the provisional ballots and right. historically they, they kind of break towards Republicans. So uh, we shall see. And you got the military ballots as well. But, so we don't know. But it's very close. There'll probably be a recount in that race, maybe even the attorney general's race as well. We're going to have to just wait and see after they count all of the. Uh, the absentee ballots uh, and then release them. But it is huge because so many of these fights uh, between the executive branch and the legislative branch end up in the judiciary. And Democrats have run the show in the judicial branch uh, for a couple of years now. And so whenever the Democrats, uh, you know, take something to court, they tend to win because the judges agree with them. So now right. you've got this overhaul coming uh, on the Court of Appeals. And uh, if the Republican hangs on to win that the, the, the Supreme Court seat, it's only it's not going to flip the the makeup of that court. It's still Democrat controlled. But I think it actually is a backlash. It's a response to a lot of the lawlessness that we have seen a lot of the violence and vandalism. I think this is one of the ways, because historically, you know this, right? People will vote Democrats for legislative and executive races, but then they will turn around and vote Republican in judicial races because most people want a law and order Republican on the bench. That's just been the historical norm. Yeah, and, and the other kind of norm here uh, is the split between president and governor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the You know, North Carolina. North Carolina has... 
is known for this, right? Yeah. In this fact, it's a North Carolina thing. Yeah. And uh, in yesterday's podcast, I actually spoke with John Hood from the John Locke Foundation and mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Mills from Politics NC and Democrat consultant guy. And uh, I asked them, like, what's up with the ticket splitting? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And that that is historically the norm. There's there's been a lot of this, even back when North Carolina used to have actual straight ticket voting where you could walk in and just, you know, flip a lever or you know press a button or check a box for one party you always had to vote separately for the president and uh they would and people would split the the ballots like that now part of that is because for a very long time you didn't get state jobs city jobs county jobs you couldn't do anything in public service unless you were a registered democrat for a century right, right. that's that was how it was so uh when the south started going towards republican presidential candidates though uh that's when you started to see this this splitting occur. And it's not every year, you know, Obama carried the state. I think Carter <laughs> carried the state. So it's not, you know, it's not completely unheard of to see that, that split. Also, I think that, uh, you know, governor Cooper, he, uh, he, d- he did well with, he got the halo effect from, uh, the COVID response. I think that he, uh, you know, th- that resonated with a lot of people who are very, very afraid of COVID and he gets right. up there and he does his weekly press conferences and the media asks him really stupid questions about what do you plan to do if, you know, nothing changes or if something changes and uh, what do you plan to do with schools and what do you plan to do here? And what do you, and he just kind of tap dances away from it and mentions the three W's. Um, and, and everybody looks at that and like, oh, that makes me feel good. And then Dan Forrest comes in and he's trying to run as, you know, I will open the state back up and masks don't work. And everybody says, well, wait a minute, why don't masks work? And he says, well, there are a lot of scientists that don't agree with that. Well, if you're going to make that case on a really popular issue, and let's face it, most people are okay with the masks and the mandates and such. They are. That's what the polling shows. Maybe that changes. uh, The masks, yeah. Yeah. We had some interesting callers because we asked callers who voted for Trump but not Dan to call in, Mm -hmm. and they were they were all about the mass, man. Yeah. The mass, the mass, the mass. And uh, they, even when they said that they, quote, hate Cooper and his and his shutdown stuff, the mask. Right. And uh, that was a big break there. So, yeah. So would there have been a way for, yeah, for Dan to, to kind of uh, to no. harness that, uh, to harness that uh, anti-lockdown, but not the mask stuff? I, I don't know. But when you, I think if you come out and say I'm the non-mask candidate, then you have to explain that. And what's the rule in politics when you're explaining you're losing? And you're so, losing, yeah. yeah, so I, I don't know if you I don't know if there's a way out of that box. Um, but I'm not saying he, he, can't, sh- he can't fall in line with Cooper either, because then right. he, he has guys on the other end of the spectrum that they're not now they're not going to show up. Right. So. Right. But I, I will tell you, I, you know, I went to an event and a Republican event and they asked this was a this was one of the Tillis uh, events when Ted Cruz came to Asheville. And, yeah. um, I, you know, they said, hey, can you put on everybody here are the masks? And most everybody there put them on. So like even if people are opposed to them and think they're ridiculous, they still put them on. So I think that if you if you're trying to carve out your, you know, this this niche as the anti mask candidate, then I think you really need to own it and you need to explain it in a way that's understandable uh, and not scary. And I don't think that that was done. And and I, I don't know if there was a way to avoid that unless maybe you say, you know what, going forward, if I'm governor, let's uh, I'm going to bring all the scientists together and it'll all be a public kind of uh, setting where everybody can uh, ask questions and we can have presentations. In other words, open up this process that right now Governor Cooper and continues to keep masked from 
the public. We don't know who's advising him, what they're telling him, what they're looking at. And finally, yesterday, actually, at the press conference, uh, there was a question finally asked about the cycle threshold question of these PCR tests. Yeah. And this is eight months in. Yeah. It's not going to change because the state just told him, you and I know how devious the setup on this, on the, how they handle questions, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously we participate in the process. And I've tried to explain this on the radio, but it's very nuanced. Like the company that they hired to set this up, they're a left-leaning co- they're a, they're right. a leftist company, and they normally do this for uh, for a variety of ways. But Activists. they've essentially devised devised a way to multi-chan or to multi-stream questions based on whether they want to ask answer them or not and there's no opportunity for a journalist to even do um you know to to yell out like jim acosta yesterday yelling out at right. uh, donald trump <laughs> are, are you a sore loser right. right they've eliminated any of that in north carolina the ability for the governor to take any question he doesn't want to take right it's it's incredibly devious and it, it's not productive but the populace of north carolina has decided that it's not devious as as devious as dan forrest objecting to falling in line on the mask issues. Well, and I would submit that the audience uh, that listens to your show is far more informed about that topic than the general public, just for the fact that uh, you talk about it. No one else covers this this story in the way that you just described it. The way I, and the way and North State Journal did the story on this. They went in, and they found the company and they you know they they interviewed the owner of the company that that uh, makes this software, this technology, and basically it's used for uh, think think you know you go to these public events. They do little breakout groups. That's what they that's what they're doing with the reporters. They create teams. Team A, Team B, Team C. Mm-hmm. So they all participate in the the larger presentation, so they can all see it and hear it. But they don't get to channel in. They don't get to participate in. So if you can segregate out the different reporter groups, then you have a, a Team A that you take call, uh, uh, questions from. AP, WRAL, News and Observer, Charlotte Observer, a couple TV yep. stations. Like, but you're not going to take questions from media outlets that might actually press you on some of this. And part of the other problem is there aren't any health reporters left, right? Newsrooms have been gutted. There aren't people that understand this stuff. You've got you've got political reporters. That's literally their beat is politics, and they're asking questions in these news conferences, and they don't know what they're talking about, and nor should I expect them to, right? They're they're political reporters. They're general assignment reporters. They're not health experts. Yeah, but they're not even trying. Well, I, 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 I totally agree okay. with you well. <laughs> I, I, on the specifics of it, but they're not trying. You and I are not doctors. You're not a doctor, are you? Uh, No. Okay, yeah, no, Ross, no, I'm not a doctor. Check my check. My, okay, Ross <laughs> says I'm not a doctor. So we're not doctors, but I fully understand and found it easy to understand when they're talking about the sensitivity of those tests. Right. You don't have to be a doctor to understand that. Right. And the fact that it took as long as yesterday until yesterday for somebody to bring that up, even after RAL had written a piece on it. Yeah. A few weeks before is a, a dereliction of duty on on the part of the people whose job it is to get to the bottom of it because they have to, they don't want to get kicked to team B as you pointed out. They right. Want to, and, they want team A. Right. And that's the that's the the sort of Damocles there, right? Like that's the uh the 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 stick that the comms team for the governor wields against the reporter mm-hmm. classes that they know if they if they get too combative or whatever they won't get through there's a guy down in charlotte for wbtv his name is nick oxner and this guy yeah. goes after everybody 
they won't let him in on the calls because he's the guy who stuck his mic in the in the governor's face to ask him about the trips and who paid for them up to New York. And so, you know, ever since then, Nick Oxner is persona non grata. He doesn't get into those news conferences. Um, question, uh, and it only it literally broke hours before, uh, while people were still voting. Um, how much did you laugh when uh, you heard that the governor's wife may have flipped a child off and then bragged about it on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty on brand for North Carolina politics, I must say. Yeah, she says in a Facebook post, they finally pretty much gave up on coming into Raleigh. She's talking about this protest uh, from conservatives that was out there. She says there was a... Yeah, the reopened people. Yeah, there was a pitiful family group waving those flags by the Capitol today. I flipped them off and told them to go home, was flipping off a brainwashed kid my finest hour? Probably not, but I can live with it. <laughs> that's the that's the first lady of the state of North Carolina. That's, so that's I, just so fantastic. Andrew, Andrew Dunn, who's communications guy for Dan Forrest, yeah. they're at their event, obviously, by then. I sent him a text, and I said, quick question. It's going to sound weird. Has Alice Forrest ever flipped a child off over a political disagreement? And I, you know, you can see the dot, dot, dot that they're writing something, right. but it lasts so long, you know, that they keep writing and then rewriting and then rewriting. Finally, he just sent me a series of question marks back because <laughs> <laughs> in his brain, he's like, what, what's what? the story that's now broken? Right. So I sent it to him right. and he writes back, he goes, just check. She, no, she's never flipped a child off over a political disagreement. <laughs> Good to get that okay. on the record. You're, you do yeoman's okay. work. You really do. I think I get that on the record, but just the just the insanity of all of it and how excited I was that it was something that finally didn't really have kind of had to do with COVID because it's right. the reopen stuff, but it wasn't. Yeah. And then finally, uh, for for uh, you, Pete, uh, we've had another big debate on the show this morning. Was Ric Flair a bad guy? Yeah, I, th- I thought. Yeah, I thought so. Hang on just a sec. Hey, Ross. Ross. But he was a bad guy that he was a bad guy that people could like. That's what I thought. And Pete as he calendars on uh, Ric Flair's a bad team, Ric Flair's a bad guy. Oh, oh. Wait, what? He's going to have you uh, forcibly checked into it. <laughs> oh, he turned off. <laughs> he turned off the phone pot. Turn, would you please turn it on? Uh, no, look. I, I couldn't figure out what he did. He looked so proud of himself. Full the di- phone's broke. So full disclosure, can you hear me now? Full disclosure. Yeah. Uh, like, I was not a super fan of wrestling growing, uh, growing up when he was in his prime. But my understanding was that he was a bad guy, but that everybody liked him. But he was still, like, there's the heel and there's the hero, right? Those are the... Yeah. Those are the archetypes. And so he, I thought he was the heel, but he was a heel that was lovable and that people could like could rally around. He wasn't that bad, but I thought he was definitely in team heel, although there was some rehab of his image in the later years, as I understand it. Now, uh, granted, like uh, the the I am biased because the guy like I when I first was aware of his presence in the South, I was down in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and he used to hang out at T-Bones on the lake down there and everybody loved yeah. him. So down there. He was a hero. So, you know, I don't know. The local population loved him. Well, especially the ladies. Yeah. So. That's, that's what I've heard as well. I didn't yeah, want to yeah. bring that up, but yes, that's what I've heard. Oh. Okay. All right. PeteCallender.com, <laughs> K with a K. And then, uh, of course, you get podcasts there on the iHeartRadio app. And 
Man, oh man, we're going to be having a, a pretty much same conversation next week. Looking forward to it. Okay. Are you hoping that it lasts as long as the 2000 election going into yeah, December? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Thirty, yeah, thirty-seven <laughs> days or whatever it was. Yeah, let's do this. All right, man. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too.